Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. A few weeks ago, I was sitting watching TV with my wife, and I turned to her and said, oh, that's right, I gotta go pick up Maddie, our daughter. She was at volleyball. So I took a road that I have taken many times over the last few years to pick her up. They're back roads. Speed limit's like 25 miles an hour, it's residential. And I'm entering an intersection I've entered many times between two of the more we can call them main roads of the area. But again, they're back roads. And as I'm in the intersection, out of the corner of my eye, it's like a movie. I see a car coming at me, and there's nothing I can do but brace for impact. Hello, and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. And today, I am going to talk about advice. Some great advice I received and some advice I tell my own children and advice I tell my students. If you like what you hear on the Parent-Teacher Conference, I would really hope that you would share this with a friend. You can follow me on whatever app you're listening to me on. If you found this through a tweet or through a post on Facebook, please share that and retweet it out. I'd really appreciate it. If you would like to comment on anything I said or have a question for me or even an idea for a future podcast, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Well, like I said, the car made contact with me at my passenger side door. I felt the car lean to the left, and then all the airbags deploy. I come to a stop very quickly. It happened really quick. That's that's the one thing, how quickly it went from me seeing the car to me stopping after the impact. I hear somebody screeching, Are you okay? Oh my God, are you okay? And I remember sitting there for just a second, just a brief second saying, Okay. I feel good. Everything feels right. I unbuckled. And I remember the smell of burning. I'm like, oh gosh, is the car on fire? So what I found out later from a police officer friend of mine, he he asked me, oh, the airbag deployed. Did you smell something? It kind of stinks. And I think that's probably what it was, the airbags deploying. But my car wasn't on fire. But now I knew I had to hustle a little bit. So I Doors, I couldn't get the doors open, front doors open. Hopped to the back seat, couldn't get the back doors open. Now I'm thinking, do I, how bad is the trunk? Can I open up the back seat and crawl into the trunk and is that trunk release? Or should I just start trying to kick out the back window? And then before I get to be this like action hero star, it dawns on me, you can't unlock the back doors from the back. So I jumped back into the front seat, 
I unlock it and I first, let's see if, the, let's go the easy way rather than action hero way. And sure enough, the back doors release so I can get out of the car. What I see first is this young lady who is driving in the other direction who saw it all happen. She's on her phone and it sounds like she's talking to the police. And I said, are you calling the police up? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I got that. I said, thank you very much. I mean, I really was, it was really strange of what I'm about to tell you happened that I really had my wits about me. The, the person who was screeching was the young man who hit me. He ran a stop sign. I don't know how fast he was going, but he was going fast enough in a very small car to turn me over. What I have heard is I flipped. I, I think I was so disoriented. It happened so quickly, but they have it on a house security camera that when he made impact with me, my car flipped. The police were there very quickly. The ambulance arrived. They checked my blood pressure. I, I Nothing broken, not even any cuts, but I was sore. My back was sore, my neck was sore, my knees were sore. The people in the ambulance were great with me, kind of like just talking with me, getting me to relax. And I do have to say, the police officers that were on the scene were awesome. They really made something that could be a very stressful situation very calming for me. I, they knew right away that from looking at the street, the possibility here was the young man ran the stop sign and hit me. And that was confirmed in the video that they watched from the home security camera nearby. I had called up my wife. She arrived with my children. She had to pick up my one daughter from volleyball. When she saw me, she got out of the car. I guess one of the police officers stopped her, asked, are you Kevin's wife? And she said yes. And he goes, and he talked to her for a brief minute and then had her come over to me. We gave each other a huge hug. She looked at the car. And the first thing she said to me was, you flipped? And I was like, yeah, I didn't want to tell you that. Now, like I said, I had my wits about me. I was pretty calm, except for my, they did say my blood pressure was quite high, which was understandable in the circumstances. But when I got to the car, my daughters were still sitting there and say, Daddy, Daddy, are you okay? Are you okay, Daddy? That was the first time I cried the whole night. When I realized how close I came, not to hearing those two voices again, not to getting hugs from them again. And as I've been thinking about this accident, I thought about a bit of advice that if you're a parent, it's a great bit of advice my dad gave to me when I first got my license. You know, think about you get your license. It's, it's a sign of freedom, right? You get in a car and you can go wherever you want. But with all freedom, there's responsibility. And my father wanted to say that in my father's own unique way. Just to let you know about my dad, he was a factory worker and a school janitor, never went to college, but one of the smartest men I know, very well read. The, the issue was that he couldn't get into college. The problem was that he didn't really try to get into college. When he was in high school, he, wasn't the, he didn't apply himself as a student, but a pretty sharp guy. So he has this intelligence, but with a sensibility of the common man, which is really awesome. 
So here is the advice he gave me when I first got my license. He said, Kev, driving a car is like a loaded gun. If you handle it with care, no one's going to get hurt. But if you're irresponsible, people die. Let me say that again. Driving a car is like holding a loaded gun. If you handle it with care, no one is going to get hurt. But if you're irresponsible, people can die. And I think about my car crash, right? Did that young man ever hear that or something similar from an adult in his life? He he was driving on back roads. He either knew the area and knew there was a stop sign and just thought the coast was clear, or he didn't know the area, speeding around without a concern of possible stop signs. And I think that advice about comparing the car to a loaded gun really comes from the wisdom of experience. Now, my dad never told me he was in a serious car wreck, but I am confident that he knows of friends of his growing up who were. And I don't agree with the premise of just letting kids be totally free-range kids. There is, you have to allow your child the freedom to drive their car or freedom to try and fail. I do believe that. At the same time, there needs to be some parameters. They're still kids. Their brains are still developing. That's scientific. We know that a child's brain's center of judgment, of good judgment, doesn't fully develop until their 20s. So to say, hey, here are the keys to the car, have fun, without any warnings, is foolishness. So on that Saturday night, I saw the truth and the deep wisdom of my father's advice there. Kev, driving a car is like handling a loaded gun. If you're careful, no one will get hurt. But if you're irresponsible, people can die. Now I'm thinking back of some advice that I've told my own daughters over the years. And probably the most common thing that I've shared with them starts at a store. If you're a parent, you've probably, in fact, I probably, you all have had this situation where you go to a store and your child wants something. They always want something, be it even a piece of candy. It can be a stuffed animal. And that's not why you're there. And they can't think that every time they go to a store, they're going to get something, even a small piece of candy. So I would look to my daughters and say, you know, this reminds me something from one of the great prophets of the 20th century, Mick Jagger. And I would start singing. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you'll find you get what you need. Now, thankfully, some of you are still listening. If you got to this part and you didn't tune me off when I started singing. But my daughters would hear that a lot. The concept of, hey, it's not always about what you get. And, and I would add this statement. I would say, listen, focus more on the things you have 
than the things you don't have. You'll be a lot happier if you do. That's something my parents instilled in me. Growing up, like I said earlier, my dad was a factory worker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We didn't make a lot of money. But let me tell you something. I never really knew that. Because my parents helped me to appreciate the things I did have. It wasn't until years later, really when I went to college, because you think about it, I'm growing up with kids pretty much in the same socioeconomic status. So there was nobody in our town that was wildly wealthy. But when I went to college, I did meet people who were of higher, let's say, social status, who had a lot more things than I did. And I was never jealous of it, but it opened my eyes to how much I didn't have. It made me realize that those vacations down the shore with my grandparents and my family, or the vacations to Vermont where we stayed with my great uncle who had 300 acres up there and built this little cabin in the woods there where we would stay was really about making vacations in the first place work for our family. We didn't have the money to go on these great vacations every year. But in my eyes, in the eyes of a child, they were great vacations. I have a lot of great memories from, the, from those trips down the shore and those weeks we spent in Vermont. And I think it's very important for our children to know that Hey, yes, we live in a very affluent society, but that doesn't mean you get everything your hearts desire. That's not reality. And the idea that there are people who have a lot more than you and, and there's people who have a lot less too. Be happy with what you do have. Be appreciative of it. Realize how much you're blessed. And some of those things aren't physical material things. Some of the things that you have, I realized when I was a kid, is the love of family. The last bit of advice I'm going to share with you is what I share as a teacher to my students. Now, I teach history. And in history classes, we have a variety of different perspectives. And I try to bring in current events into our study of history. For example, recently we were talking about the Inquisition. So I had a discussion with my students about cancel culture. We looked at the similarities and the differences. Obviously the similarities was it is an attempt to get people to be silent, to scare them into silence. The differences, the Inquisition, you're going to lose your life. In cancel culture, you'll lose your status. You could lose your job. We said that the Inquisition was government-led, whereas cancel culture is led by a vocal mob on social media. So since I allow my students, and they're seventh graders, and some of them are forming their ideas and forming their opinions, and they're getting a lot of it from home where they're supposed to be getting it, and not wanting them to be able to share and listen to a variety of different opinions. Many could be 
totally on the opposite side of what they believe, we review what the word tolerance means. And I say this to them. I say, I think in our culture, many people take the word tolerance to mean that other people need to be tolerant of me and what I believe. But that's not tolerance. That's being demanding. So the advice I give my students is this. Tolerance isn't that other people have to accept what you believe. Tolerance is you understanding that other people won't accept what you believe. Let me say that again. Tolerance is not that other people have to accept what you believe. Tolerance is that you accept that other people will not accept what you believe. I mean, the only thing in life that you truly control are your actions. And that's why I think we're at each other's throats in society, is that we expect everyone to believe exactly like we do. And we justify our anger towards them that they don't by painting out the quote-unquote other side as the worst person possible. And I share this with my students, this, this idea that Look at it. We're, we're, we always argue from the extremes rather than look to compromise because we've said to ourselves, that person's the devil. We are quick to say, that person is intolerant rather than to say, am I being tolerant? And I've been giving this advice for a few years and it's really neat when we're having a conversation and it's starting to move into that passionate, you're wrong, and how can you believe that type of mode? And a child, before I even say anything, a child, one of my students will say, hey, remember, tolerance is accepting that other people won't accept what you believe. And I think that understanding of tolerance that I offer my students comes from great religious teachings that have been passed down. It seems that a lot of religions have this word of advice that I'm about to say. Now, as I've shared in the past, I am a Christian. So I am going to say it from the words of Jesus in the Bible. The view of tolerance that I've offered, that we need to accept that other people won't accept what we believe, isn't it really coming out of this religious understanding. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply. <laughs>